Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. How many of you uh, would classify yourself as a runner? Anybody? Or you enjoy running? Anybody? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> me neither. I hate it, you know? Um, you see the people, like, it's cool weather outside, and you see them, like, out, out running right now. Like, you run by people, and most of the time they're already, like, super fit. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're done, man. Like, you did it. You're fit. So I don't understand. I, I've always hated running. I remember one time in high school, um, I, I played sports and stuff, and my basketball coach was also the track coach. That's what you do at small schools. And so he was also the track coach. And I remember one day telling him, like, man, the track team gets out of school all the time. And so I would love just to get out of school. So can you, like, just sign me up for an event, you know, and, and just take me? He's like, yeah, I got you. And so he, he was like, come on. And I, I went on the track uh, trip, and I had to run one event. That was the deal. And so he signed me up uh, for the 400. Now, if you know anything about track, and I didn't, uh, the 400 is maybe the, one of the toughest, I think, since I've done it, it's the toughest race there is, right? I mean, it's, uh, if, you're, if you're unfamiliar, basically the 400 is a dead sprint around the entire track. One lap, it's a sprint. And I thought, you know, how hard can that be? And so I, I'm out there and um, lined up, ready to, ready to go. And uh, my coach tells a few of my buddies, he says, Rainey doesn't know it, but he's about to die, right? <laughs> and so they fire the gun. And uh, I didn't know that they actually fire guns, but they fired off the little gun thing and we take off. And we are all sprinting around this track and I, I get around the first curve and I'm thinking, you know what? This isn't too bad, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing all right. And then I get into that like straightaway and uh, I just completely run out of gas. And everybody else is passing me and they are a long ways up there. And I thought about quitting, but I didn't, you know. I'm in the last heat, by the way, um, which the last heat uh, is, is basically the ones who are just there to have fun, right? And so it's all the people who sign up last. And, and so I'm in the last heat and I am just way behind the rest of the pack and they all, they go around and they finish the race and I'm still just trying my best to make it. I look up, they're all done. And um, it's, it's the whole thing. Have you seen like where uh, the guy struggling, everybody else will come back and like run next to him and stuff? That's what they did to me, man. Is <laughs> they, they all finished the race and came back like, you can do it, little buddy, you know? And so I'm like, I hate this, you know? It's so embarrassing. And I got finished and, and you know, just, just wanted, to, wanted to die. And I tell you that story because like I said, we are starting the book of Jonah. And uh, this is a man running from God. And I tell you about my track experience to say that Jonah is running and he doesn't know it, but he's about to die, right? All right, so Jonah chapter one, if you have a Bible, turn it with me. Jonah chapter one. So Jonah is a um, small little book. It's like two pages in my copy of the Bible. It's right in between Obadiah and Micah, if that helps you find it. There's, uh, there's no shame at all in using the table of contents. So open up to Jonah chapter Jonah chapter one. So Jonah is one of my favorite books of the Bible, uh, especially to teach and, and to talk through. There's so much going on here. Um, and I like it because it's also a popular kid's story. 
like we teach our kids about this giant fish eating a guy. <laughs> and uh, I think that's why many of us maybe have a phobia of like being in the lake. You know what I'm talking about? You, you fall off the tube and you're waiting on the boat to come pick you up and you're kicking your feet really hard. <laughs> I still do that and I'm 34 years old, you know, so um, I think that's maybe why we teach our kids about this story, but um, it, this story is not a fairy tale, it's not a parable, okay, it's not make-believe, it's not, it's not a Disney story or something like that. It's a real story about a real guy named Jonah, okay, real story, and here's the reason I think it's a real story, a few reasons. Jonah chapter one, verse one says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. That's very specific, all right? That's, that's not once upon a time there was a man named Jonah. And so it's a very specific guy. In fact, we see him in 2 Kings chapter 14. He's prophesying, he's, he's talking to the king there. And uh, it says that the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, uh, God used him to talk to the king. Right, so we see he's a real guy. Uh, and most importantly, the reason I think it's a real story is because Jesus said that it was. <laughs> and uh, you know, I feel like he would know. And so he, he talks about Jonah as a real guy. He uses, in fact, he, he talks about the story of Jonah and he sets it side by side with what he's going to do with his death and resurrection. He says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the grave for three days. And so Jonah, uh, I believe that Jesus would not equate his death right, with a fake made up story. So I believe this is a real story. Um, people will say it's, man, I just don't know that I can believe that a guy would live in the belly of a fish for three days. And I'm like, we believe way crazier stuff than that, right? You know, our whole faith is that God himself died for us and then rose himself from the dead. So this is a real story, but, but what I want us to hear is like, it's not a fairy tale, it's not a parable, it's not even a story about a guy named Jonah and a big magical fish. This is primarily a story about God and his relentless pursuit of people, okay? And that's what we're gonna see this morning. Next week, we're gonna see how he pursues the nation of Nineveh and groups of people, but today, before he does that, man, he pursues Jonah, okay? So that's what I want us to see. This book shows us, it kinda has three purposes, shows us how God pursues sinners. It shows us how God desires to use his people on his mission. And I think maybe the main point of this book, I could make the argument that the main point is it shows us the difference in God's heart and ours, okay? That's what this book does. So maybe you've had time to turn there by now. Jonah chapter one. Let's read the first uh, three verses together. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and he says this, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. And so Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. All right, so let's just stop there for a second and talk for just a moment. We're gonna look at Jonah chapter one and two today. Next week, we'll do chapter three and chapter four. But what we see here is this book opens is that Jonah runs from God. We see Jonah running from God. In verse two, it says, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach. That's what he was supposed to do, go to Nineveh. Now, we need to talk about that just for a minute. Like, who is Nineveh? What does that mean, okay? So Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. 
And if you remember from our series through First and Second Kings, the Assyrians are bad dudes, right? And Nineveh is their capital city. It was a huge city. Jonah talks about in chapter three that it took at least three days to walk across it. So it's a massive city, but it's also extremely wicked, extremely cruel. They were known for being great at war, but more than that, they were known for being experts in torture, okay? These are our mean guys. They would use torture as a tool of psychological warfare. And so they, they by their own depictions, right, in their own palace, like their, their drawings and their carvings on the wall, like we know some of the stuff that they would do to people. One of the things they would do is they would impale people on poles. I have a picture of one of their carvings of that, if you, if you can put that on the screen for me. And so they would, they would put people alive on these poles and run the pole up underneath their rib cage and just kind of leave them there until their own body weight just would eventually kill them, you know. And so they would do that. They have other carvings and drawings of filleting people's skin off and hanging it over the city walls. They would behead people and make pyramids of heads outside of their city walls. I mean, these are, these are brutal, brutal people. And one of their primary targets was their neighbor to the south, Israel. All right. And so Jonah likely has personal experience, personal knowledge of Ninevite cruelty, you know. And so he, he understands who these people are. He, he knows how evil they are. But despite their cruelty, like God gave a clear calling to Jonah to go to them. He said very clearly, get up, go and preach to Nineveh. This is basically God saying, go and confront the bully, right? Go confront the bully on their home turf. Um, just last week or the week before, something like that, my son Dax, he's, uh, he's seven years old and in first grade. And he was, uh, he was kind of upset after school because there were some, some kids, I guess, at school that were kind of picking on him a little bit. They were kind of being bullies. And, you know, it's first grade, so I'm not sure how extreme it was or anything like that, but they were kind of picking on him. One day he, it's funny, he challenged them to a, a basketball match. And he says, if I beat you, you got to leave me alone, you know, and he beat him and they still didn't leave him alone. And so he came home and he was kind of, he was talking to me about it. And I was like, well, son, here's what you do. You look at him and you say, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to knock your lights out. Just like that. You know, it's probably horrible parenting <laughs> advice. Um, but I was like, you do that. You say, I'm going to knock your lights out. Next day he goes to school. He comes home. He's in a better mood. How'd it go, bud? And he's like, good. I, was, I said, they mess with you anymore? He said, no, they didn't. I said, well, what'd you say? He said, I told him. My dad told me to tell you something and you're not gonna like it, so you better run away. And they ran away, you know, so <laughs> it worked out. Didn't even have to do the whole knock your lights out kind of a thing, but he confronted the bully on their home turf, right? Like it, and so that's kind of what, like we see Jonah, he's being told to go do that. Here he says, get up and go preach on their home turf, like go confront the bullies there, right? God says, get up, go to Nineveh and preach. Like, that doesn't really need a lot of explaining. I can't explain that any further to you. Like, that means what it means. Get up and go do this is what God's saying. He says, go all alone into the city of people who hate and torture people like you and preach against their evil actions. And notice, like, God never asked Jonah if he wanted to or if he thought that this experience would add any kind of joy to his life. God doesn't do that. Do you think that God wasn't aware of their cruelty? 
You think that God didn't know how the Ninevites treated Israelites? Of course not, right? But it, it doesn't matter. And see, I think that relates to us because somewhere along the way, I think Christians have decided that they'll do whatever God tells them to do as long as it doesn't interfere with their comfort or their preferences or their plans for life, you know. But Matthew chapter 28, we know that God gives us clear directions that sound a whole lot like what he told Jonah here. Matthew 28, Jesus um, tells his disciples, he tells all of us as Christ followers, he says in Matthew 28, it's the great commission, you've heard it. Jesus says, all authority, all right? So basically what he says there, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It doesn't really matter what he says after that. <laughs> he has authority to tell us. All authority has been given to me. He says, then go and make disciples of all nations. That's our task, that's our goal, that's our purpose as Christ followers. And that command, again, is given to every single Christ follower. Our one purpose as Christians is to know Jesus and to make him known, right? That's our purpose. And so that means that you, like specifically you, are called to leverage your whole life, your giftings, your passions, your job, your hobbies, your resources, everything for the sake of God's mission. Listen, you are called. You are. Every single one of you. It doesn't... It's not a matter of if you're called, you are. And so the question here really is this, are you doing what he said? You know, are you doing what he said? What we see Jonah do is he runs in the opposite direction. Chapter, or verse three, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish, which that's a bummer of a town name for sure. Like <laughs> every time I say it, I feel silly, but Tarshish is where he got up to go instead. So Tarshish is modern day Spain. Um, it's 2,500 miles in the opposite direction of Nineveh, which would have been Iraq. Um, so 2,500 miles in the opposite direction is where Jonah decides to run. This is like being told, go to New York City and you go to LA. Just complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And so the point for us, understand this, is that rebellion is just simply saying no to God. That's what rebellion is. It's simply saying no to God. How does that go in your home whenever you tell your kid to do something and they just say no? <laughs> that doesn't go well, right? But like, you know, <laughs> we do this to God all the time, right? We just tell him no all the time. And maybe it's a relationship that you know is not pleasing to God, but you just won't quit it. Maybe there's a sacrifice God has put on your heart to make, either money or time or lifestyle, something like that, and you see the need but just don't wanna make the sacrifice. Maybe it's a sin that you need to confess but you're just holding on to. Maybe it's a career change that needs to happen but you're thinking, man, I got the job and I got the house and I've been working towards this and I just don't wanna do it. Or maybe like Jonah, he's calling you to go. Like leave family and friends and lifestyle and go and follow him for whatever he has for his glory. So ask yourself this morning, is there any area of my life where I'm simply saying no to God? Is there any area of my life where I'm just telling God no? And so he gets up and he flees to Tarshish. He runs in the opposite direction of where God tells him to go. And then notice, I think it's interesting that it says he found a ship going to Tarshish. Like he found a ship. And I think it's, it's so clear that if you want to run from God, there will always be an opportunity for you to run in the opposite direction. There'll always be some, something available for you to run and take that thing away from where God is leading you. It seems so convenient. 
And, and you might even convince yourself that maybe God's changed his plans and he really wants me to go to Tarshish now, you know? Maybe. Have you ever been given the advice, like, if it's meant to be, it'll work out? If it's meant to be, it'll work out, you know? That's horrible advice. <laughs> or if, if it's meant to be, you'll just, you'll have peace about it. But like you understand that, that one of Satan's main tactics is to give you peace about things, right? Uh, you see it in Genesis chapter three, whenever he convinces the man and the woman to eat the fruit that they're not supposed to, what does he say? He says, did God really say that you shouldn't have that? He just knows that you're gonna be smart like him. And so they have peace and they, they take and they eat that. Or maybe like whenever you're trying to discern God's will in your life, people will say, just watch for open doors, whatever, whatever that means. Just watch for open doors. And again, that's all just bad advice. It's bad advice. Um, we know that, that the word of God is where we find our direction from him. We don't go off of feelings or whatever. That can, be, that can change based off of whatever you eat. You know, so like, like we base the direction of where God is leading us through his word. But it seems like Jonah's kind of going off of some of that bad advice. That I know that God told me to go that way, but here's this ship and it's going to Tarshish, so maybe God's changed his mind. Look, if you are looking for a ship away from God's calling, you'll find one every single time. You will. If you're looking for a reason not to have that conversation with a coworker, there will be an excuse. There'll be a reason why you shouldn't. If you're looking to get out of your marriage, there will always be um, a, a too good to be true relationship that just kind of pulls you away. There will always be some kind of flirtatious activity that's out there. Like you can find a reason why if you're looking for it. If you're looking for a reason not to go, not to give, whatever, you'll find it. You'll find it. There will always be something that will pull you in the opposite direction. There's always a ship that's ready to take you away from God's calling. And so Jonah knew. He, he knew what he was doing. In fact, it says twice in those first three verses that he was fleeing away from God's presence. He thought he could actually run away from God. And he's gonna find out that that's not possible because God is gonna chase him. Let's look at verse four. It says, but the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. So what we see here is God is pursuing Jonah. He's chasing after, like Jonah's on the run and God chases him. Okay, that's the picture here. He throws a great storm at him, but notice what Jonah's doing. It says he's stretched out and he's fallen into a deep sleep. I think it's just a picture of just no remorse. Like he is completely comfortable in his run from God. He's just numb to the fact that he is in direct disobedience to the calling of God on his life. And that's true for us too, man. After running for a while, we end up numb to it. Maybe, maybe saying no to God used to bother us, but now we hardly even think about it. And, and hear me, if you're there this morning, that is a dangerous place to be. That is a dangerous place to be. Just numb to the fact that you're running in direct opposite direction from whatever it is God's calling you to do. 
but notice the goodness of God. Like he gets his attention. Says, says he throws a storm at him. Throws a storm. You need to know, whenever you run from God, God will get your attention. <laughs> he will use whatever means necessary to get your attention. And sometimes we need a wake-up call. And that's what the storm is. The storm is a gracious gift to Jonah. It's not punishment, it's mercy. That God comes after Jonah and he throws this storm to get his attention. And then you know the rest of, of chapter one there. You've, you've heard the story that the storm rages on, the sailors are afraid. They start throwing cargo and stuff off the boat because they're afraid that they're gonna sink and, and that they're all gonna die. They finally wake up Jonah and Jonah says, it's me, God's after me, throw me in and it will all go away. And they kind of hesitate at first, but that's what they end up doing. They throw him into the raging sea and then the storm stops, right? And so now Jonah is in the middle of the sea and look at verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. See, God appointed this fish. I want us to see that the fish was actually deliverance. That God appointed, he, he directed this fish. That shows us God's sovereignty and his power. I mean, just on the surface level, like that shows us his sovereignty and his power, that he, he appointed this fish, he directed this fish, he, he created it from the beginning, knowing that that was gonna be its purpose later in life. And he directs this fish to come and swallow Jonah. In chapter four, the exact same word appointed is used for a plant, it's used for a worm, it's used for a scorching east wind, that God is directing all of this in nature and all of it listens to God. Like that's amazing, that it listens to God. The fish is actually gonna listen to God again in chapter two, verse 10. It says, the, then the Lord commanded the fish and it listened, like it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. So what does that say about our stubborn nature that fish and plants and worms and wind all obey every command of God and we just don't? <laughs> we just don't. But I want us to see like even in that, like we recognize the fact that we just rebel. We just say no to God all the time, even in that. What does this story say about God's relentless pursuit of the ones that he loves, right? That's the story. Like God is relentlessly pursuing Jonah, and that is the story of Scripture, ultimately climaxing at the cross of Jesus. Like Throughout Scripture, people re rebel against God, turn against God, and God is constantly chasing after them, pursuing them, so much so that, that that our rebellion, our sin demanded that the God of the universe step into this earth, die on a cross in our place, sacrifice himself for our rebellion, for our sin, right? And he died for us. And then he was placed in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead because he's God, right? And because he stepped in, he's chasing after us. He makes a way for rebellious people to be made right with God. That's the story of scripture and it's what we see going on here in Jonah chapter one and two. Like God provided 
a fish to swallow and save Jonah's life, right? He swallows, he, he, he provides this fish to swallow Jonah, but that doesn't mean it's gonna be comfortable. <laughs> like that's, that is not how, it's, it doesn't mean it's gonna be comfortable. It would have been way easier for Jonah just to listen to God in the first place. Look at Jonah chapter two, verse one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from, from the belly of the fish. Like think about that. This, this is not a pleasant scene, okay? It's not a pleasant scene. How many of you, whenever you hear this story, like you think of maybe, um, maybe something like, like this. I've got a picture, this is Pinocchio, right? ribs going up the side and he's just kind of chilling out writing writing on the desk and it's like it's, it's yeah he's in the belly of the whale or whatever but it's not it's not horrible like I think that's how we picture it because that's how our, our little kid bibles uh, draw it up right this is what it actually looks like inside the belly of a fish like that's disgusting right that's gross aren't you glad you came to the nine o'clock service and you still got a while before lunch right <laughs> Like that's what it actually looks like. And we have to see this visual and understand the reality of the situation. Like Jonah's not in this comfortable, just cavernous looking cave thing. No, he's in the belly of an animal. Fish guts everywhere, 100 plus degrees inside of there, stomach acid just washing over him, tightly confined space, completely dark. He's being consumed. That's what the belly of an animal is designed to do, is consume you. And that's where he is. That's where he finds himself. And that's where sin and rebellion leads us. Just in a place of just darkness and nastiness. And we have to see that picture. Because if you think of your sin and your rebellion as the big cavernous cartoon cave, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. But if you see your sin for what it is and your rebellion for what it is and the nastiness that it is, Man, I think that changes. That, that's what leads us. Instead of running from him, that leads us to obeying him, right? So it's not a pleasant scene. And it's here in this moment that Jonah repents and he calls out to God. Look at verse two of chapter two. It says, I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. And I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, which is in the Hebrew, that's the grave. That's the lowest possible point that they could imagine. That's where Jonah finds himself. And he says, you heard my voice. And then verse nine, if you skip down there, he says, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. See, it's in this moment where he's in the darkest, lowest point of his life, where he realizes his great need for God. He realizes there's no way he's making it out of here unless God saves him. And that's where every single person has to come to at some point. Like you have to come to this moment of realization of, of, of your sin and your rebellion and God's grace towards you and his love towards you and realize that salvation belongs to him. There's no way you're saving yourself. It's only by the grace of God. And that's where Jonah is. And he repents of his running and his rebellion and he commits to follow God's call and God saves him. God saves him. And verse 10, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The fish threw him up. 
And so it's messy, but it's deliverance. It's deliverance. God has saved him. And so remember, like this is a story first and foremost about God and his relentless pursuit of sinful people. And again, next week we'll talk all about how he's pursuing the nation of Nineveh. But today, man, he is after Jonah. He's after the one. And I want you to hear, man, today God is after you. He's pursuing you, specifically you. He wants your heart completely aligned with his, sold out to his calling on your life. Like in this story, see the goodness of God. That Jonah just does the exact opposite of what he's told to do. And God loves him enough to chase after him, pursue him, bring him back to himself. And he commands nature and animals and all kinds of things to work it together so that Jonah would be saved. And so see the goodness of God. And then I want you to think, like, think of how God has pursued you. Like Christian, think about that. Think of the goodness of God in your life and how he has pursued you over and over and over again. It starts with the moment of your salvation. That God loved you enough to die for you. (laughs) Right? Like that sentence alone. God loved you enough to die for you. (laughs) And that's what Jesus did. He he stepped into this earth and he died a death that you and I should have died because he loved you and he pursued you and he's chasing after you. And we know that the Bible says that anybody who places their faith in him based off of what he's done, nothing that we can do, we're confined in the belly of the fish, but based off of everything that he's done, if you place your faith in him, the Bible says he'll save you. You come to a moment of realizing salvation belongs to God alone. He'll save you. And so maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you're here and you go, man, I need to do that. I've been running from God, but today is the day I submit to him. Maybe that's you. But if you've been a Christian for a long time, that's your story too. That's your story. That God chased after you. He pursued you in the middle of your mess. (laughs) And he loves you. And how you view the love and grace of God makes all the difference. Makes all the difference. It's the difference between running and obeying him. And so as we close, like I just, I want us to wrestle with this thought this morning. Why would Jonah run from God? Jonah was a prophet. God had used him in 2 Kings 14, 25. So why why would he run? He tells us in in chapter four, basically he knew that God would save those people. And he didn't want that to happen because he hated the Ninevites. Like he hated them. He says in chapter four, verse two, he prayed to the Lord, please Lord, Isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? Because Nineveh, spoiler alert, is going to be spared. And it ticks Noah or Jonah off. Like he 
He, he can't handle it. He says, isn't this what I said would happen? He says, that's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. He says, I knew it. You're so good. You're so loving. I knew you would actually save those punks. And I hate them, right? See, his personal feelings were more important than the calling of God. That he had more hatred for Nineveh in his heart than he did love for God. So he ran. So he ran. And his running revealed his heart. And so as we close this morning, I want to ask, what about you? What about you? Are you running from the clear calling of God in your life? Are you running from the clear calling of God in your life? And what does that look like? It can look like several different things. Maybe you know that, that God has been pursuing you and he's, he's telling you that he's calling you for salvation, that you need to trust God as your savior. Maybe that's you and you've just been kind of running from that. Today, man, stop running, submit to him. Maybe, maybe he's pursuing you and, and, and he's put, putting on your heart, he's calling you, you know that you need to be baptized. Like you've placed your faith in Jesus, but you've never publicly declared that with the church family. And so he's calling you to be baptized. Maybe that's the calling of, of God on your life today. Stop running from it. Like, let's talk. Let's get that scheduled. Let's make that happen. Maybe, maybe he's calling you to join the church. Just take that step of identifying with a group of believers. You can do that as well. Or maybe, maybe he's calling you to live on mission. Maybe he's calling you to have that conversation, to surrender that thing. Maybe he's calling you into vocational ministry. Maybe he's calling you to set aside comfort, pleasure, leave family and friends, whatever it takes and chase after him. Ask yourself this morning, what is God calling you to do? And what kind of work needs to be done on your heart this morning? And I would encourage you, man, surrender like Jonah finally does. What's it gonna take for you to stop running? Is it gonna take a storm? Is it gonna take a fish belly? <laughs> the sea listens and obeys him. The fish listens and obeys him. When will you? So what's he calling you to this morning? Will you run or will you surrender? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.